The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. What are, during this time of the year, Christmas movies that you really like? Somebody, somebody share, I see a hand, or what's, what's, a, what's a movie you really like at Christmas? And just shout it out. Christmas story over here, Elf, Christmas, The Grinch, Die Hard, what else? It's a Wonderful Life, back there, Home Alone, all right, these are some great ones. One in our house that we love is uh, Christmas Vacation. More than one time this past month, someone has said in our house, you serious, Clark? So there are a lot of movies that we connect with, but the one that I want to reference to be, right now is Die Hard. I think that was said back there, right? Die Hard is a little bit weird for a Christmas movie because it's an action movie where you have this rough, tough guy, Bruce Willis, or John McClane in the movie, who sees evil, sees the bad guys, and just blows everything up. And, and it, nothing is left standing. The building is, is blown apart. Everything is different. And we see in John McClane one path or one option for dealing with evil. And what's interesting when you watch the movie is it's not just that he beats the bad guys. But in that movie, there's the dialogue throughout where he humiliates them. He is just infuriating. He gets under their skin, and they look horrible. Now, my wife said, you need to also mention Home Alone because the same thing happens there. When you see Kevin looking at the people trying to break into his house, and he says, do you want to give up, or are you thirsty for more? And I find myself warning, don't give up. Don't give up. I want to see you be humiliated more. And I think we can resonate with that feeling of, I see something evil, and I want to see it not just be defeated, but humiliated. And this is such a common feeling and sentiment that we can have. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, look at Philippians 2, that shows us a different path. When we look in society, we often see this approach of if there is something evil, you, you go up and no matter who you have to step on, that's what you do. It doesn't matter. You go at all costs. And this even happens when people have a noble cause. There are people that have a noble cause and they want to see political gain in this area. And so we will justify behavior from politicians that is horrible. We will use tactics. We will tell lies. We adopt this approach even when we want to help people at times. This morning, we're going to look at a different way. We're going to look at someone who did not move to the top at all cost, but Jesus who came to the bottom at all cost. So let us read Philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray real quick. Father, we just pray that you will be with us in this moment, that you will uh, guide us as we look to your word for direction. Will you please uh, bless our time together? We ask in your son's name, amen. So this morning, I wanna look at uh, two different ideas, and I'm gonna focus on verses five through 11. And I wanna look at two main ideas in this passage, verses five to eight, He came down. What does that entail when we say Jesus came down? What what does that mean when we say that? The second part is he came down and then he was lifted high. And we're gonna look at that. And then we're gonna close with looking at what does that mean for us? This passage is calling us to follow the example of Jesus. How do we do that? So Jesus came down, Jesus was lifted high, how do we follow him? That's where we're going this morning. And to begin with, when we look at Jesus came down, verse six, I invite you to look at verse six. Uh, Who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Paul, when he's wanting to highlight the example of Jesus coming down to us, he begins by emphasizing how high up he was. That's where he starts. He says, we need to keep in mind, if we're going to appreciate what is involved in Jesus coming down, how high, truly high he was. Jesus was equal with God and did not consider that did not consider the privilege and the honor and the dignity that was rightly due to him as something to be grasped. And I want us to think about how incredibly unique this is in comparison to what we typically see from people who have authority and power. Think about how unique this is. We can find examples throughout society, we can find examples throughout the history of the world of people who strove for dignity and privilege that was not rightfully theirs. There is just so many examples. There are examples of CEOs of businesses, of politicians, who have done things and can deserve respect, but so often it goes beyond that 
And people in those positions begin to think, not only do I deserve some respect for some of the things that I have accomplished, but they view themselves as greater in dignity and worth and value than other human beings. That is where they view themselves and they are wrong. When we look at the history of America, if we study how the concept of race was invented, this was an effort to take different groups of people and categorize and give more value and worth to some people as opposed to others. And people said it was based on science. There were different reasons given for why people justified grasping after certain privileges and grasped after this idea that they held more dignity and they held more value than other people. We can find example after example of people doing this, and yet every time it is based on false thinking. It is based on lies. It is not true. Jesus, however, he actually did deserve more honor than you and me. He truly did deserve that place. He wasn't creating some scheme based on lies to steal dignity he did not deserve. He rightfully deserved that. We are talking about the creator of the universe, and Paul wants us to recognize right off the bat that when we talk about Jesus coming down, he deserved all of the honor and glory in the world we are not talking about giving respect to someone who has created lies for why they should get that respect. And this continues. Not only is Jesus God worthy of all the respect, Paul continues in verse 7 saying, He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When we think about Jesus coming to, to earth, we, talk about, we think about where he was and when he came down. He could have come down as a king and that would have been a step down, right? I, I remember once I, I was living in Dallas and I had some friends who knew this couple who were very wealthy. And I knew that this family was wealthy because the first time I went to their house, they had three TVs in the living room. And I thought, this is incredible. In fact, one time I went over there and we watched March Madness, had three games on at once. And I thought, man, this is, this is living large right here. I'm loving this. And then I went in their pool house and they had a Bill Russell signed basketball. And, and I thought, wow, these people have a lot of money. But then later on, I remember my friend telling me about a conversation he had with this guy who would make trips to watch his college football team play games, and he felt it was too extravagant to buy a private jet, so he and his wife would just charter a private jet. And I remember my mind being blown thinking, I, th I thought that you all were already wealthy, and yet your wealth is greater than I had the ability to, to understand or comprehend, I, I don't even fly, for, fly first class. I don't know, I don't even know what's going on here. And, 
and my mind became open to a, a concept of wealth that I had not previously been aware of. And when we look at Jesus, we need to wrestle with the fact that had Jesus come down and lived as Bill Gates, that would have been a step down. Had Jesus come down and lived as King Solomon, that would have been a step down. For you and I, we can't grasp that. For you and I, we think, wow, that's, that's extravagant living. For Jesus, that was a step down. And Jesus went even below that. Jesus went from the highest place down to the point of a servant. And one point I want to be really careful here, while Jesus did come down, it is important to remember that Jesus taking on a human body was not a sign of Jesus taking on something inherently evil. While Jesus did come down, this also signified the value of his human creation. Some people have said, there's no way Jesus could have had a human body because physical flesh is evil, is wicked. So God could not take on a human body. And yet we see in Jesus, we see him saying, this is my physical creation. This is good. Jesus looks at you and at me and his creation, and he doesn't say, well, that is so far down that it is worthless. So when we talk about Jesus coming down, it is important to recognize that Jesus taking on a human body is not Jesus becoming, taking on something that is worthless, but it is a sign of dignity bestowed on you and me that Jesus did not look at us, his creation, and say, it is too far gone. So Jesus came down. And then this next point, when we look at the last way that, that Jesus came down, we see that, verse 8, he humbled himself, or and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now think about this. I, for me, if somebody said, Wayne, I am willing to take a bullet for you, I would not say, well, is that the only form of death you would endure for me? Is that, is that it? Not, not also this other way? Jesus came and died, even death on a cross. And think about, he became obedient. Jesus, when we read the Gospels, he was not cornered into a situation where he could not figure out how to get out of it. He voluntarily gave up his life. This was not a sign of weakness. This, Jesus had a sign of power. I, and I, I asked my daughter if I could give this illustration, and she said she was okay with it. I have played basketball my whole life. I love basketball. Uh, now, I'm in my 40s now, so I'm not as good. But, but, but my daughter does not like basketball. She doesn't play. If the two of us play and she wins, I let her win, okay? That, that, there's no way she's going to beat me. So I let her win. However, if LeBron James or Steph Curry came to town and I stepped onto the court with them and I said, I'll tell you what, I'll let you win. They would laugh at me. I have no business looking at them and saying, you know, I'll let you win. You and I, 
We have no business looking at death and saying, you know what, I'll let you take me. We don't have that power. Jesus did. When we look at Jesus coming down, this is not a, an indication of weakness or a lack of power, but it is him taking the power that so many people grasp after, and he is setting it down. He is setting it to the side. This is our King Jesus. And then the point that I loved Rebecca's illustration, how often do you voluntarily take on humiliation? I, I honestly, I don't remember. I, I'm not sure I can come up of a time when I knew something was gonna humiliate me and I said, yeah, I'll do that. I don't think that's something that you and I do naturally. And when we look at Jesus dying, the reason it says even death on a cross is because it wasn't just that he died, but he died in a manner where he was put on display. He was publicly humiliated. I, that, that is just hard to grasp. And again, he wasn't cornered, he wasn't helpless, he knew that. Our King Jesus began as high as you could be, and he came down. He could have come as a king, but he came as a servant. And he didn't just stay as a servant, but he died for us. And he didn't just die for us, but he died in one of the most humiliating ways possible. This is our King Jesus who is unique, who is unlike others. He is incredible. And when we think about this, one important to point to remember, anytime Jesus, we're gonna see Jesus looking at us and saying, I want you to live this way. There are times when somebody encourages you to do something and you can look back at them and say, hey, listen, I appreciate your advice, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the pain and suffering I'm going through. And if you and I had this conversation, I guarantee there are people here who have experienced pain and suffering that I have not, and you could legitimately look at me and say, Wayne, you do not understand my pain, and you would be right. But you cannot say that to King Jesus. He took on human form. He took on humiliation. He understands pain and suffering and humiliation and shame. Jesus has experienced that. When we think about this, it is just incredible to think of how far Jesus came down. And when we look at verses 9 through 11, before we get to that, Think about if it's the day after the crucifixion, what would you think? You very easily could look at the life of Jesus and say, wow, that guy was really inspiring, gave some really good talks. You know, he's my favorite TED Talk speaker. Follow him on Twitter, always just really good stuff. It's a shame that he died. I thought he was stronger. I, I thought he was stronger, but apparently 
there's these other earthly powers and rulers who have more power than him. And Paul reminds us, nope, that's not the case. I love, I think it was the first song that we sang, uh, we lift you higher, higher. Uh, and it's just this repetition of we're, we're, giving, we're giving King Jesus praise and then we say it again and we say it again and we say it this way and then we say it that way and we just keep adding it up and adding it up and adding it up because it's not enough. It's still not enough no matter how many times we repeat it. And listen to these verses. In verses 9 through 11, God has exalted him, bestowed on him the name above every name. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is praise heaped upon praise heaped upon praise. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it was demonstrated that his life while laying his life down, while serving others, while enduring humiliation was not a sign of weakness, but a sign of his strength and his power. He rose and he deserves that praise. And I think it's important that we recognize whenever Paul is listing these things, this is a very important message for the church in the first century. In the first century, there were rulers who took on titles for themselves, who grabbed dignity that they had not fully deserved, and one of them was the title Lord. Caesar said, I am Lord. This is my title. But Paul comes along and says, not so fast. That, that's not your title. I hear you saying that that's the title you want for yourself. And I hear you asking for people to bow down to, to you and to use their tongues to praise you, but you're not the person in charge. And this is important because in that time period, someone could have looked at what was happening in society and seen the persecution that Christians faced and drawn the conclusion that I backed the wrong horse because apparently Caesar has more power than Jesus. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Yes, there are ways in which Jesus still allows certain people to maintain certain authority in certain domains, but make no mistake who is the king. Make no mistake about who is the one who defeated sin and death, the one who rose from the dead. That is King Jesus. And so we see Jesus from the highest point possible coming down to the lowest point. And then we see him exalted. He is not someone who was outwitted, cornered, or defeated, outmanned. He was the powerful one. And this is what we see in our passage. And this leads us to, okay, how, what do we do? How do we live now that we have seen this example of Jesus? Because this is where Paul is going. Remember in the first five verses, he is encouraging the church at Philippi to uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider each other more important than yourselves. Paul is looking at this example of Jesus, of someone who did not grasp after power, but willingly laid it aside. And he is saying, this is your example. This is how you should 
interact and engage with each other. You should be a servant to others. You should consider others as more important than yourself. You should do nothing from selfish ambition. So what does that look like? And I want to share three different ways in which I think we can honor what is being taught in this passage and follow the example of Jesus. Do what God is calling us to. And the very first one I want to bring up is that this example, the example of Jesus must never be used to manipulate other people. The example of Jesus must never be used to manipulate other people. Unfortunately, there are examples of people in the church where people will encourage other people enduring hardships and say, you need to be patient. You need to endure suffering. You need to follow the example of Jesus. Know this, if you have the ability to alleviate pain or suffering from somebody else, but you don't do it, instead you tell them to endure suffering like Jesus did, you are not honoring this passage. This is most definitely not what is being taught. And we could give example of, after example of where this has been done. There have been church leaders who have used power to manipulate others to serve in ways. There are just way too many examples to cite. And we need to say that this is not a passage given to leaders on how they instruct other people how to live. This is not a passage given to leaders so that they have a way to encourage other people how to live. This is a passage that leaders along with everybody else must follow. And so I think where I would begin is, if you are ever in a situation where you are encouraging somebody else to follow the example of Jesus and to serve and to, to do nothing out of selfish ambition, ask yourself first of all, have I applied that to myself? Have I looked at areas where I have the ability to help someone else's suffering, and am I doing something with that, or am I just giving them platitudes? And I think we need to begin with, we cannot abuse this passage and use it for ways that we get other people to serve while we grasp after power. This is clearly not what Paul is doing. And yet we have seen people use the, these teachings in this way. So the first thing that I would say whenever we are following Jesus is that we are not using the example of Jesus to manipulate others. The second way I think we can follow this example is to recognize that our service to others is not because we are worthless. Our considering others more important than ourselves is not because we are worthless, nor do we do it because they deserve it. Let me explain this a little bit more. I think sometimes we may think, well, of course, I need to consider other people more important than, than, than myself because, you know what, I'm just, I'm really, I'm so, I'm so bad. Uh, I don't have value. People my whole life, people around me, 
maybe it's someone very close to you, has told you lies, that you are not valuable, that you do not have worth. And when we see the incarnation that Jesus came and took on human flesh, this is not what that is saying. This, when we see Jesus coming down, we see a, a sign of you are valuable. You are, have incredible worth to the creator of the universe. The fact that somebody else doesn't see that does not invalidate the truth that you have value. And so when we serve others, it's not from a point of self-loathing or self-pity or belief that I serve other people because they are truly have more value and dignity than me. This is not what it's saying. It is also not saying that we serve other people, that we're gracious and compassionate with our words and our actions because they have demonstrated that they deserve that type of response. I think there have been times in my life where uh, I would say there have been times where I have gotten in arguments with other people and I, uh, I have, uh, there, there have been times where someone has said something harsh to me and I have had to acknowledge that, well, you know what? I kind of started it. I kind of deserved that. So, okay, you know what? Let's just start over. Let me be gracious because I got us off on the wrong foot. That was, that was my fault. But sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we observe people who they really don't demonstrate that, that they deserve to be treated with grace and compassion. And when we look at Jesus, the life of Jesus, who does that apply to who treated him poorly? Jesus responded with grace and love, even though they didn't deserve it. Man, we could go for, we come up with quite a few examples this morning, couldn't we not? When, when Jesus, I think what I often want to do is I will be patient, I will be gracious, I will be compassionate, as long as the other person is reasonable. But, but that person's being a jerk. So they don't deserve that, and therefore I'm not going to act that way. And that is not the example of Jesus of saying, I'm going to respond following the example of Jesus, of being willing to put other people's needs ahead of my own, if they deserve it. This is not where Jesus is calling us. Jesus calls us uh, to, to consider the needs of other people as more important than ourselves. And then the last point that I want to share when we look at what does it mean to, to follow Jesus, right? So one, it's never manipulating other people. Two, the reason we follow isn't because we're worthless or because we are higher or more valuable than other people. It's neither of those. And then finally, I would like to say it, the example of Jesus, one thing that is incredible when we think about following the example of Jesus is that praise God, he does not make our ability to measure up to his example as the standard or the criteria for having a relationship with him. Because we can't do it. If you were like me, you have found people who maybe they have a YouTube channel giving advice on how to do something, or you hear about uh, I'll hear sometimes about other dads and stuff they do, or maybe you hear about what other moms do, and you're like, how in the world do they do all that? 
I, I have had jobs where I've looked at other people and said, that they are just incredible. How could I ever follow their example? And when we look at what, what God is calling us to, I think it's important to recognize you and I, we're, we're not gonna imitate that. We, it is impossible. And this is where one of the, the greatest things that we celebrate is that we do not have to measure up and score a high enough grade on the follow Jesus scale to have a relationship with God. Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It is not our job to defeat sin and evil. Jesus did that. So I cannot defeat sin and evil in myself, much less the whole world. Jesus did that. Jesus did for me what I could not do for myself. I cannot go up to God. He must come down to me and take me up with him. And that is the only way. And so while we encourage each other to imitate Jesus, let's not forget that we can only go to him because he came to us. As we continue to think about and celebrate Christmas, celebrate Jesus coming to us, let's continue to reflect on and rejoice the incredible example of our king in setting aside his authority, the incredible uh, truth, comforting truth, that he did not set aside his glory, but is still worthy of glory. And with that understanding, may we honor King Jesus with our lives by following him. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how you uh, are patient and gracious and compassionate with us. May you give us grace to follow you. We thank you for King Jesus and what he has done for us. We praise you and pray in his name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen, amen. What a great God we serve. What a great God we serve. Hallelujah. Thank you, Carr, for being with us this morning. Uh, thank you, Wayne. We're going to call you at about 4 o'clock next Saturday. Uh, my goodness. Um, receive the benediction that we've already received. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go in peace, dear friends.